towards Oren Roy. Brilliant save indeed. Walsh has scored. Leicester City are in dreamland now. Lovely close control there by Weller. Chance on for Birchin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal. What a City lose to West Ham, but there's problems off the field with players breaking COVID rules. What happens with them, we'll discuss. And all this on the eve of an FA Cup semi-final against Southampton. Plenty to talk about on this week's For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me in For Fox Sake HQ2. It's Rob Hayes. Rob, how are you? Not as well as I was at the beginning of the podcast when we were previewing the West Ham game rather than reviewing it. But no, fine, thank you. I've just uh, just got back from a one-night stay in Whitby. Had a glorious sunshine. Sat in a, a little square in Whitby with a, with a pint in the sunshine. Had a great time. So on a personal level, great, thank you. On a football level, not so much. How about you? Whit- oh, Whit- I love Whitby. Did you go? Did you did you go crabbing? Didn't go crabbing, no. But did have fish and chips, and did go for a walk along the beach. Which fish and chip shop did you go to? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, well, we were we were recommended to go to Magpie, but it was the queue was too big, so we went to Papa's instead. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I recognise that name. Yeah, I know. I can picture that in my mind. Oh, I love, oh, Whitby. Here we go. See, now you can tell everyone listening to this. That we do not talk before we press record because I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, just just uh, sharing, just sharing with the listeners at the same time as with you. You don't want to hear it twice anyway, do you? No, not, not really. Uh, that's well, that's cheered me up no end because the football was rubbish and off the field shenanigans was rubbish. Uh, right, I think right, Rob. I think what we're going to do, if you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to it for the preview for the Southampton game, fast forward 20 minutes, okay? Because we're going to talk about West Ham and we're going to talk about the off the field thing uh, first. Get that out of the way and then preview the Saints game and the FA Cup semi-final. Remarkably, how that isn't headline news, but it technically isn't, okay? We're a few days after the game. We're a few days after the revelations about the the COVID party or whatever happened. And I just, I think everyone's going to have their own opinion, okay? Uh, everyone's going to have their own idea of what punishment, of what's, if any, uh, and it's going to range from being sacked to they should have been playing against West Ham. There's precedence with other clubs. There's precedence with the women's side in our own football club. There's all sorts. And what I think is probably going to be different to what you think, Rob. And then what I think is going to be a lot different to what other people think. So this is not a preach. This isn't a preach. This is just, this is what I reckon. Um, And if you agree, fine. If you don't, no worries. It's just what it is. Um, First of all, I think one of the big things that has kind of been overlooked in all of this is what actually happened. 
We know that there was a rule break. We know that three players who are eligible to play through basically being fit, uh, they were dropped. Your Madison, your Perez uh, and Hamza Chowdhury. So that's those three. The other two who have been linked, we don't know. It was Barnes and Wes Morgan. Now, whether that's real or not, we don't know. It was The Athletic who actually put it out there. So Rob Tanner, who writes for The Athletic, if it was in a newspaper, you might turn around and go, well, we'll just wait and see. That seems to be fairly creditable for me. But there you go. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, I I just think, for me, it is a a case of what happened, right? If it turns out this was a party the day after the Man City game, i.e. a full-blown proper party, proper do, um, that's that would mean, it, for me, there could be some severe ramifications for these players. If it was the case that they went round someone at uh, Perez's house, um, either to sit in the garden or to whatever, and it turns out six were there instead of three, or it turns out there was 12 people there instead of six, and it was just a, a, almost too many people were invited or, or phoned up other people, and actually it was quite v- harmless, if you know what I mean, then there is that side of things, okay? that That's what I reckon. I reckon if once we find out, if we ever do, um, if it's at one end of the scale, if it was a party, then I reckon that there would be possibly the end of futures at the football club for these players. I think someone like Perez, who is not fully guaranteed a first-team spot, um, could easily be maybe, do you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. Um, or they'll they'll look to actively move on if the deal's there. Hams is probably going to leave anyway. Um, Madison is the real question mark. You look at someone like Barnes and then um, Wes Morgan, whether that means his ambassadorial role, if, if he was ever going to be given that at the club, is, is maybe probably held back for a few years rather than being given straight away is more likely what will happen. Um, or if it turns out it was a big do, I'm not being funny. I would be in the camp of arguably giving him the old P45 and say, see you later. Not being funny. That's the case. That's what I reckon. Um, If it turns out to have been a big, basically, piss up um, and the club captain was there at this time of the season, I would think that everyone knows he's going to go at the end of the season. Everyone knows he's going to retire, this, that and the other. I think they probably could have gone right this is an example, you're out. Um, the fact that that hasn't happened leads me down the line of it might have been a case of just too many people sat in a garden, possibly. Who knows? I don't know. But that's what I reckon, Rob. I think overall, the the, the punishment given to the players, missing out on one game that uh, was fine. And also the fact that they've been publicly humiliated. They need to build bridges with the fans because ultimately that's the case. Yeah, that is the case. Overall, do they need to be thrown in jail? Obviously not. Um, They've probably been fined as well, but they need to build bridges with fans. And in football, the way you do that is by performing on the pitch. And that's what they've got the chance to do now before the end of the season. So until we find out exactly what happens, that's my position. And I'm on the wavelength of one extreme to another. Because if it does turn out, let's hope it doesn't, but if it does turn out to a bit of massive jolly, then... I I would be in favour of letting the captain go.
Before I give my opinion on this, can I just clarify part of your point there? Because you have almost suggested that some of the players should be in line for or could be in line for a more severe punishment than others. Um, whereby the the gist that I'm getting for, from you there is that because Perez and Chowdhury are not necessarily first name on the team sheet, they might look to move them on and they might look to make an example of Wes Morgan if he was involved. That's To, to be honest with you, you saying that is the first time I've heard his name involved. I've heard Barnes' name. Um, but So are you saying then that Madison will be allowed to carry on at the football club just because he's a better footballer? Because for me, that... If if you if you think that the others should be moved on or will be considered for be more considered for being moved on because of this, then why does Madison get away with it just because he's a better player? Do you know what? When I was literally saying those words, my first thought was, my immediate thought was, and I was talking the other day about players being signed in the summer, and my thought was it might be actually fairly difficult in this summer to actually move on one player who is not actually training at the club at the moment because he's injured. He's not back fully fit. And then you've got James Madison, who will hold a, a, a value of player who I don't think will be signed this summer, purely because I don't think clubs are going to be willing to spend what he's worth. Um, also, you throw in this into the mixture as well. Um, we know there's been a lot of good with Madison, his interviews after, etc., and his performances on the pitch. But I just think his injury record, this, which has undoubtedly ruined his chance of um, playing for England in the summer, no chance. We, we've seen what happens with Jesse Lingard in the last few months. If you play really well all of a sudden, James Madison goes and scores seven goals before now and the end of the season. Um, there's, there's every chance he could force himself into that squad. That's gone. Harvey Barnes, you could say the same as well. Um, but this thrown in, I think, has ruined that chance. I just think in this summer, a player of his value would be quite difficult to move on. If you're looking, let's just say Leicester were going to go, right, we're going to get rid of Madison. They're not going to get rid of him for less than he's worth because that's that's crazy. I just think out there, I don't think clubs will sign him because I don't think they'll spend the money on a player that has a record like his at the moment. I know that might sound a bit, he's a good player, we'll keep him... And exactly, you're completely right. You know, are we going to get rid of certain players and keep the good ones? That's an easy thing to say. But I just think it's difficult to move on Madison if they were going to try and do it. I don't think they will, but um, it, I just think it would be difficult because of his value and because of the situation football clubs are in at the moment. I just think clubs won't be able to go and sign a player who, let's face it, you'll be talking 70-odd million plus for for someone like James Madison and also Harvey Barnes as well. Yeah, I agree. From a from a business point of view, it wouldn't probably more than likely would not be feasible this this summer. But if it let's say we weren't in this kind of situation and finances, whether that be the transfer fee that we get for James Madison or the sort of global or football finances because of COVID aren't an issue, would you kick him out the door with Perez, Chowdhury, Barnes and Morgan? I wouldn't kick them out the door. I wouldn't kick any of them out the door in terms of, right, see you later, apart from the captain because of his contract situation and because he is the club captain, uh, knowing he's probably not going to play again for the football club. His essentially, and I heard this uh, someone say, he was given a contract essentially to be the figurehead of the football club to maybe occasionally play if needed, which he has done. Um, but he's there to basically sort out all the youngsters and be 
a leader. And if it turns out that he was part of, and again, I'm talking about to, uh, a big party, a big piss up, like I said, if he was there, then he's essentially broken the one thing he was there at the football club to, to not do. So if you get rid of him, if you make an example of him, is it the easiest way, is it the easiest footballer to, to, to do? Is it the easiest option? Yes, it is. But is it an option where you go, well, crikey, they've got rid of a legend of the football club before his time. They've shamed him at the end of his career when it should be celebrated. Um, let that be a lesson to all the other players. Look, this is what we're going to do. Um, I, I think that would be appropriate if it was the case of it was a really big break of the rules. Um, when it comes to someone like Perez, I think you would naturally have question marks because it's a position of the football club where we have uh, a little bit of strength in depth and looking to buy players. So if it was the occasion, occasion that it's possible that he could move on, this might just tip the scale a bit further that way. Um, Hamza, we know, is probably going to go anyway. This is probably just going to rubber stamp that deal. So those two is slightly different. Um, but I think if you were to make an example of one player, and that would be Wes, I think that's fine, even though a lot of people might turn around and go, well, you've kept the best players, haven't you? You've not punished them. Yeah, sometimes life isn't fair, do you know what I mean? But um, I think because of Wes's situation at the club, that would make the most impact of all the other players, do you know what I mean? Because be, they'll be sat back and go, you know, we can't do this. You know, We're being punished because we're losing the captain. He's been shamed, etc. Um, and again, I'll say it for the 12th time, just if it turns out to have been a massive do. If it turns out it was a very slight, um, but still, overall, breach of, of, of rules, then, um, then I think what's happened is perfectly fine. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's, it's really divided opinion amongst supporters, everybody that I've spoken to, every channel of social media I've looked at. There's been um, somebody's weighed in with a huge opinion and then loads of people are either backing it or completely against it. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of middle ground here. I, I will say from my point of view that I believe that the club have have dealt with it appropriately. Um, yes, I think... I th I think if, if the context of it changed, then maybe that might change my viewpoint a little bit. But ultimately, there has been a a breach of the national and the club's COVID um, guideline expectations. And therefore, there should be a punishment. You're absolutely right. There, there will be a financial penalty for these players. No question about that. The club are never going to disclose that kind of thing. It's It's... You know, Brendan Rodgers started off by talking about it as an internal issue. It's only sort of reports that have um, then shed a bit more light on it. So it it's in the club's interest, really, to keep it hush-hush. I'm, I'm not convinced we'll ever find out the full details. But from what I've seen, you know, you're looking at up to 20 people. You're looking at intent to deceive with lights being turned off, apparently, to avoid being caught and and messages from the manager being ignored, that kind of thing. So I think I think the players knew what they were doing. And even if they didn't, even in the, the small chance that they didn't quite realise that this was going to be a large as large a gathering as it was, the the responsibility on their shoulders, like it or not, is really, really high because thousands and thousands of people 
look up to them um sort of and 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 have found a a focus and, a, and an almost a comfort particularly during the first lockdown when football first came back in watching those players and supporting those players it, it gave people who have been furloughed for example it gave them a sense of purpose you know all of a sudden the football fixtures are back and they populate your calendar and they can almost punctuate your week like like football did before when people were really building up to Saturday afternoons and, and it was the sort of highlight of the week, it became that again. So these players were are almost on more of a pedestal than ever. And I've, I've spoken to, uh, about this at length with loads of different people over the last few years, really, in the sense that I'd, I'm not entirely convinced that these young players are always totally um, equipped to deal with the situation that they're in. I'm not making excuses for them because they are all adults. They are all fully aware of the national uh, legislation. They're all fully aware of the expectations on them of the Leicester City Football Club. And they are all fully aware of, uh, well, I say fully, at least partially aware of the impact of their actions on other people and on the sort of regular supporters like me, you and the people listening at home. So... I don't know whether the clubs are still at the moment doing enough to make sure that these players are guided in the right direction, particularly because they're all in the same situation as us, or, or, or the majority of them are, in the sense that social interaction is limited still and has been for a year now, basically. So finding something to do... What, what, you know, we always hear about footballers being bored at home anyway. You know, they go and play a bit of PlayStation maybe go for a round of golf and then what else what else do they do because they don't particularly work long hours so young people loads of money no social interaction going on i can understand why something like this would happen i can't justify it. that doesn't justify it it's not me justifying it it's, it's totally wrong completely wrong but maybe the players need to be even um, receive even better education around the impact of their actions because I, I found it quite ironic that I was reading an article this morning, maybe yesterday, uh, about this situation and then a, a linked article or a you might sort of want to read next article was um, was Ayose Perez encouraging Leicester supporters to stay at home when the first lockdown was just announced, March 2020. And I, I found that quite ironic that a year on, we've now got this we've got him in the spotlight for completely the opposite reason that that article 12 months ago is what he should be using his his um position for this is really a kick in the teeth to every single regular person out there who has been following the rules who has made sacrifices in their family life in their social life in their work life for the the greater good the greater health of the nation whatever whichever way you like to look at it so it's almost like they these footballers whether it's a a, a sort of one-off slip with intent still but it's 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 a mistake it's an error of judgment or not it's it's still them doing something that everybody who looks up to them knows that they're not allowed to do and it almost feels as though they the footballers think they can get away with it and think that they're better than the regular members of the public. Uh, so to finish, I, I believe that the club, they will have the full details of it and they have strict guidelines and our owners know exactly what um, 
the relationship between a club and its supporters should be. So they will have made sure that this punishment is reflective of that. I'm surprised, well, I say surprised. I will be surprised if there isn't some kind of formal statement, apology through the club from the players that are involved, especially now it's so much in the public domain that everybody realistically knows who was involved and basically the gist of what happened. I think that that, that is, has to be the next step. They have to repair that relationship with the supporters. Um, yes, going out on the football pitch and, and, and performing at the highest level for Leicester City and helping them win games and accrue as many points as possible between now and the end of the season, of course will go a long way towards doing that. But I think there has to be some demonstration of remorse so that us as fans can sit there and think, all right, you know what? I probably did something the other day that wasn't necessarily totally within the the COVID legislation and they've done something here which on a more extreme level is, is, is in a similar bracket. So, you know, we can sort of move on with it. But I think I think the fans need to see that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think... If you were to put a video of Madison, Hamza Chowdhury and Barn and um, and Perez, for example, standing there at the training ground, being interviewed, saying, "Look, we're very sorry. Da 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 da. We went round. Da da da. It got out of hand. There was twelve people instead of six, or or whatever. We went, you know, went around to see a new car, whatever. Um, we apologise. Da 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 da. I think a lot of people would turn around and go, "Okay, fair play." go out on on Sunday and win the game. Uh, the fact that that's not happened means I'm still leaning towards this could have been actually a lot worse, uh, more of a big bigger story. And, and I'm just waiting for something to appear on the front page of a national newspaper in the next few days. Photos, videos of, you know, a huge do. That's, that's what I'm worried about. If that happens, then, and you mentioned the owners of the football club, if it gets to that stage, if this isn't just another case of a few footballers slightly breaking some rules, we've had other players, Grealish, etc., players from Spurs, um, the manager at Spurs, what, being in the park, training, all that sort of thing. There has been, like I said, the women as well, there has been plenty of incidents like this and there's been apologies and fans have been really annoyed for all, best part of a week and then it's kind of move on, you move on. And that's completely just. And if that happens, fine, we move on. And they'll have to build bridges, not a problem. That hasn't happened. And we are recording this on Wednesday. And this has now been in the open since, say, Sunday. That's quite a long time. That's why I'm slightly still on the case of this could be actually a lot worse than we originally think. Um, If they're going to try and shush it up, if the club are going to go, look, let's just deal with it internally um and even if that means players in the summer move on etc cuz you've also got to think what other players are thinking what are the likes of and everyone goes to someone like say Vardy Schmeichel etc what are they thinking now it could be the case that in the summer or even now but i'd imagine it would be in a few weeks time someone like Kasper Schmeichel could easily turn around along with say the the, the group of um, experienced players. So you've got him, you've got Yuri Tillemans, and you've got, say, Jamie Vardy. They could easily, in, and I would imagine they would have these conversations with the manager, um, with the owners, etc. They could even turn around and go, not being funny, boss, but 
this is, you know, it, it's not going to work, unfortunately. That could easily be the case. I don't think it will be. I hope it won't be. Um, people might say, oh, you may be going a bit over the top with this. But again, I think if it was a slight breach, they could have easily come out with a video and gone, look, da-da-da-da-da, there we go. Um, that's not happened. Now, whether they've sat down and gone, shall we do this? Do you know what? Let's just let's just get the games going. Let's just get them playing. And hopefully we'll move on. We'll look at other clubs and what they've done, etc. But because that's not happened, I'm just thinking there is a distinct possibility that there is a this was actually a, a proper big thing. Um, and we'll wait and see. Because at the moment, there is absolutely nothing coming out of the football club. But, and again, and then once once we find out more, we can come out with... Um, we can talk about it again in relation to what we do know. And because we don't know, that's why I'm ranging from sack Wegs Morgan to let's move on and, and play against uh, Southampton and, and, and kind of not brush it over, but move on. Because we don't know, do we? Um, and because we don't know, that's probably about it. So if you didn't want to listen to anything to do with the COVID, then... Um, We've got, what, 20-odd minutes into the podcast, 24 minutes in, and we will not talk about it again as a thing because, again, we'll just wait to see what happens. Game against West Ham, let's just face it, it was a complete disaster. I still think West Ham are not anywhere near a top-four side. They've got, essentially, a player who's playing out of his skin. Everything he touches turns to gold at the moment in Lingard. The first goal, I still think that's a scuffed effort and it's curled in the corner. Schmeichel thinks it's going wide. It comes around the, the back of a defender and it goes in the in, in the corner. I thought Leicester was sloppy, slow. Um, I thought... that you Trying to find a word to describe this, but when a player is running after a ball or running to tackle someone and then the ball doesn't quite land the way that they think or there's something slightly unlucky happens and then they carry on a couple of strides and lift their head in the air and go Ooh, and then kind of like circle back round that happened all over the park with every player including someone I never would have thought Jamie Vardy oh world's against me oh all this um they just felt like they were feeling sorry for themselves and they were feeling sorry about what had happened and understandably so, because people go, oh yeah, but that's not a reason why you should play poorly. But we talk about finding the extra 1% or 2% here and there to try and get into the top four, to become a better side. How can we improve that 1% or 2%? Well, it works the other way, because if you're not quite on it because of what's happened, uh, and you take away 1% or 2%, this is what happens. You get turned over. And let's face it, I still think... Even though West Ham have got amazing form of going 3-0 up and then clinging on to either a point or a win, I still think if you take away Kalechi Iheanacho's 20-yarder, then it could easily have been 4 or 5. It should have been. They had that offside goal. Um, we could have had players being given red card. I thought Ricardo was lucky to stay on the pitch. How Wilfred indeed he stayed on the pitch, I have no idea. That should have been a second yellow card right in front of the referee. Uh Overall, it was a disaster, and in the end, they should have actually got a point, as we all know, for Farnes' header, but if you take that game as a whole, they didn't deserve anything from the game, they were across-the-park pathetic, and I think someone like Mark Albrighton, who sits there on the bench, who, again, this is just off the top of my head, I think probably 
would be seething with what's happened and those players, etc. But I think he's just sat there, watched that first 60 minutes and gone, this is absolutely pathetic. He comes on the field and he tries his hardest. And you could see the fact that he stood out and looked like the best player that's ever worn a Leicester shirt for that final half an hour, just through industry and effort. It showed you what was actually lacking for the other 10 players on the field for the previous 60 minutes. It was effort and being sharp and really giving it the full beans. That's not what happened. I think, I don't believe it's going to be a case it's going to set in for the rest of the games. If you ask me now, who knows? In five weeks' time, we could look back and go, this has been a monumental disaster. But I think this could easily just have been that half an hour, that, that 60 minutes, um, and we turn out on Sunday and it's completely different. But hopefully that's the case. But it was woeful. And again, I will say, I don't think West Ham are too much of a decent side. I think they've got... One player in midfield, Rice, who wasn't there, who's a who's an excellent centre midfielder, who holds that team together, and then they've got one bloke at the moment, can't do anything wrong. So it was a bit of a nightmare. It was. There was there was not an awful lot um of positivity to take out of the game, really. Uh the they were second to every ball, not quick enough with the ball, not quick enough without the ball. Um Seemed to lack a little bit of desire, and I don't think that they ever went into that game thinking, I don't want to win this, but you're right, it is those small percentages that make all the difference in elite sport. And, you know, some people are saying, well, if did did these three, particularly the three that are eligible to play and fit to play, um, that were... Um, dropped from the squad was was them being dropped the main factor in Leicester losing to West Ham at the weekend maybe not the main factor but it was a factor and even if you take away the fact that you're missing three players on the pitch if you if you if if you consider the fact that maybe if even if they didn't play if we if we started with the same 11 what their absence has done has created some unwanted um, attention around the squad, uh, some unwanted distraction for the players, some disruption to their um, pre-match preparations. Because as you say, it's, it looks like this happened last uh, weekend after the Man City game. And therefore, uh, and Brendan Rodgers kind of alluded to it a little bit in one of his post-match interviews. He said something like they've had to work in a different way this week which means that those three players are not available for training. Um, it looks it's it's highly likely that they will have been training in isolation on their own, whatever. Um, that upsets the the way that the team prepares for a match because the team tactically, especially with a week on the training ground, will run through all sorts of simulations, lots of different formations, lots of potential scenarios where even the players that aren't necessarily likely to be in the starting eleven, um, because probably Perez and Chowdhury wouldn't have started, but they will be in an opposing eleven to help the starting eleven run simulations. You're missing players like that in in your in your preparation, so you've had to prepare for the game slightly differently. And regardless of how much of a professional you are, regardless of how focused you are on on the objective, which is to get out there and play as well as you can against West Ham United, this incident is niggling in the back of your mind. 
I agree. Someone like Albrighton, Schmeichel, Evans, Tielemans, Vardy, the ones that are in that um, leadership group, it's called, really, isn't it? And they're, they're going to be absolutely fuming because these these players have let down the whole playing staff, the whole club staff, the whole club, basically, and 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 they have to go and deal with that and try and not necessarily put that right, but they they've got to to shoulder some of that because of the stupid actions of others. So there will have been that would have been not necessarily at the front of their minds, but it would have been playing on a few of their minds. And and you're right about Albrighton coming on. And all he had to do was work hard and try and get on the ball and he was going to do better than everybody else on the pitch, bar probably Tielemans, who, and I know Rogers singled him out for some praise after the game as well. He, for me, is an absolute, an absolutely incredible professional. He, For his age, he's played a remarkable number of games. He plays with an exceptional level of maturity. He never, ever goes missing on a football pitch. Sometimes his passes might go a little bit astray, but I would rather him be trying to keep getting on the ball and keep moving it and keep getting involved than, than go missing. And he's you always, always see him at the heart of everything that Leicester do well. And even if it's not going so well, he's still there. He's got much better at his, at his ability to get up and down the pitch putting in tackles he's a proper leader on that pitch so I can see exactly why he's in that leadership group and and his industry alone was was the best on the pitch uh, across the 90 minutes for for Leicester against West Ham but Mark Albrighton has probably possibly uh, depending on what formation is chosen and which personnel go where um, and we'll discuss that in more detail for the the FA Cup semi-final against Southampton but you know that is a way to play your way into the starting lineup for a semi-final team. Even if he wasn't thinking about that and he just wanted to go on and make the an impact on the game and try and get something from it, fantastic. But he proved why he's still such a valuable squad player and he, and he showed a lot of people up at the weekend. He really did. When you look at the way the side played, the personnel involved, and then you look forward then to the FA Cup semi-final. So let's look slightly more cheery because it's been for obvious reasons quite downbeat so far and also this is a little bit of therapy for us too isn't it because we we can now get I can I can talk about this to my dad um I can talk about it to a few mates and all this sort of thing and now at work, greatly to say I can now do it at, at work um but this is a, a chance to actually say what we think you know on air and and to give our opinions to the people who listen to the podcast. So, yes, a little bit downbeat. But then you look at Southampton, ultra strange side, very strange. On their day, they can beat anyone in the Premier League, and they have done. But, as we know, especially when it goes wrong for Southampton, it goes horribly wrong. And looking at their recent results, there's the win in the FA Cup against Bournemouth, a good win as well. But when you look at their Premier League form, you've got a win at home against Burnley in a real topsy-turvy game. But that is surrounded by the heavy defeat against West Brom the other day. Uh, you've got a loss at home to Brighton. You've got um, being hit for five at Man City. Uh, you've got a defeat to Everton, not scoring. A defeat to Leeds, not scoring. 
you've got a win away at Sheffield United. It's not exactly a really good run of form. Uh, they're down towards the bottom end of the league. They're in 14th place. Uh, not a million miles away from a few teams getting a few points. I think if you were Southampton, you would like maybe another win to be pretty much secure. And I don't think they'll be sucked into any bother, mainly due to the fact that Fulham have... Um, their form has really gone sour again. So Leicester should have every chance and they should be deservably favourites as as we know that they are. Um, so going into this FA Cup semi-final, the one player who I think is very, very important and probably the most important player to come back into the Leicester side is not James Madison. I think the most important player is Soyuncu. I think Soyuncu, we saw against West Ham, uh, Armati on the right, he, he's, he's Daniel Armati, he's a centre-half, he's uh, awkward. But it also means that Fafana moves over to the left. That's slightly awkward. He looked uncomfortable throughout the whole 90 minutes. Um, so Soyuncu coming into the side, instantly then puts Fafana on the right of the back three, it's also Soyuncu, who's had a really good season since he's been back. Uh, very solid. I think that will make more of an impact than, say, James Madison. Uh, because also, if Madison's not playing, and let's say for um, fitness reasons, then it would be, say, Iosi Perez. Okay, And against Southampton, I think that would be fine if Perez played in that role, as he has done in recent weeks, to, to greater plomb. So... The rest of the side, I would say, pretty much picks itself if everyone's fine. It would be Ricardo and it would be Gastagna left and right. Um, the three centre-halves, as said, and Didi and Tielemans. And then, as we go further forward, your Perez, your um, Kletchi and Nacho and, and, and Jamie Vardy. I think the side roughly picks itself. Whether they will change things to include an Albrighton because of his performance against West Ham I don't think they would rock the boat to bring him in I, I don't think they would change the formation to a formation that Leicester have played plenty of time the more familiar formation to bring in Albrighton I think just the access of first of all Kletchi Nacho the fact that he scored a couple of goals as well you know he's, he's carrying on his really good form I just don't think you change it. So that's really harsh on, on Albrighton. Um, that being said, when he did come on, uh, he also played quite centrally as well. So it, it could well be if they decide not to start James Madison or not to start Isaac Perez for whatever reason, then could you play Albrighton in that floating role behind Vardy and, and, and Gletchie Nacho? Possibly. I think that's a bit of a big call, really, for an FA Cup semi-final. I think it would be unlikely. So that would be my side, the standard side, as you would think. Um, ideally with James Madison in that in that role, behind the front two. Uh, if it was me, I think it's just the perfect chance for, again, to say kind of sorry on the pitch. Put your best side out. And if they'd go uh, to Wembley on Sunday with their best side, I think you've got every chance of seeing Leicester in an FA Cup final. It's going to be a difficult game. It's going to be a difficult game against any side. It's going to be a difficult game against any Premier League side. If we were playing against Sheffield United in the FA Cup semi-final, it would be, I think, arguably, well, equally as difficult. Um, 
Southampton, this is their season. They've got nothing else to play for. They're going to be fully at it. Um, I could possibly imagine, and a lot of people might look at the defeat recently to West Brom and go, they're in really bad form. I would actually put a line through that one game because you lose in that style to West Brom and some people might turn around and go, oh, they've got half an eye on the FA Cup semi-final next week. Do you know what? I think it's not half an eye. I think it's both eyes. I think the attention of the players is on that game. I think they don't want to get injured. I think they, again, would just be off by that 5 or 10%, which means in the Premier League you'll end up losing. So I would put a line through that piece of form. But looking at them overall, I don't see any reason why Leicester can't go there and win. I think they will. Um, I think there will be goals as well because it's an FA Cup semi-final. Everything's going to be on the line. There's no reason not to give absolutely everything. And it's going to be it's going to be Nacho Man again, isn't it? It's going to be him. It's going to be the Nacho Man. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful of a Leicester win. I'm confident of a Leicester win. I just think that we can control the game. I think Yuri Tillemans is going to have a good game. I think the pitch at Wembley, even though when you talk about dimensions, etc., it's going to be pretty much the same size as most pitches. But I think he'll be able to hopefully get on the ball and dictate the game, run the game. Uh, that's why someone like Madison I can see as well um, dropping a bit deeper as well and, and really getting hold of the game. And it should be a game that he can excel in. And then when you've got Jamie Vardy, and especially Coletti and Nacho, um, you've got as good a centre-forward line as a lot of sides arguably in the Premier League. And we know that they've got danger men, Danny Ings, etc. But I just think I, I can see Leicester winning, and I can see Leicester winning, hopefully in the end, fairly comfortably. I'm going to go 3-1 City. 3-1 win in an FA Cup semi-final. That'd be very, very nice, wouldn't it? It's it's a shame that we're building up to this game and really looking forward to what is a Sunday evening kickoff and not actually being able to go. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I just feel like, you know, first FA Cup semi-final since the early 80s. You and I, Pete, have both been fortunate enough to, to go to Wembley as both supporters and as broadcasters. And, and the, just the the walk along Wembley Way and the buzz around it is is absolutely brilliant. So I hope that we as supporters feel that same sense of anticipation throughout the week and, and, and across sort of maybe if you watch Football Focus Saturday and then, you, and then you build up to the game Sunday, however you want to do it. Maybe you've already planned to get a projector or a telly out in your garden so you can have six people around and, and, and enjoy it. No more than six, otherwise you're just as bad as the Leicester players. Um, it, it, it's it's just something really, really good to look forward to. And it is a game of uh, in isolation. It is a, a one-off. It's a it's a knockout semi-final tie at Wembley Stadium for a place in the FA Cup final. And I agree with you that Southampton. This is Southampton season. They've got no other objectives. They are, between now and the end of the season, in the seven games that they've got left, they are going to pick up the extra couple of points that they might need to totally secure safety. Not an issue whatsoever. Whereas Leicester City, particularly having lost the last two games, there's there's not more of a focus on the FA Cup, but as soon as that West Ham game was gone, the attention has to get switched to the FA Cup and and then you almost kind of come back round to the realization that we are 
potentially 180 minutes away from lifting the FA Cup for the first time in this club's history, which is an absolutely... It has been since ever since we were we started watching City nearly 25, 30 years ago, Pete. It has been a remarkable sort of overhanging, surprising statistic. You know, people that don't necessarily um, follow Leicester's history, like I've got fans, uh, friends that are fans of all sorts of different clubs, most people don't realise that Leicester have never won the FA Cup. They just assume that a, a, a club with the history of ours has... And they're very surprised to know that we haven't. So these players are right on the cusp of making more history at this football club. You imagine somebody like Mark O'Brien, Kasper Schmeichel, who um, won the Premier League most unexpectedly with Leicester and then go on and win the FA Cup as well, get a winner's medal. It'd be absolutely crazy. Um, I think Southampton have had an eye on this for a while. I think this game offers Leicester a really good opportunity to just put the last couple of games to bed and say, all right, we'll 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 take a little break from the Premier League. We'll worry about our top four position and, and do something about that um, in the next few games. But right now, every single ounce of the focus has to be back on this game against Southampton. We're led to believe that the players that were disciplined and left out of the squad for West Ham will be back in training and will be part of the match day squad. Uh, so, provided that the other players can draw a line under it like Brendan Rodgers seems to have, then I can't see any um, upset there or any sort of ill feeling towards them. And hopefully, they'll have done th- a few things this week that have, that have really just sort of cemented the team spirit that has basically been pushing Leicester along for the last five years and go into the game against Southampton at the weekend in high spirits, knowing that we are a better team than them, no question about it, uh, and ultimately we're in better form than them and we can go and win the game, like like you said, by by a couple of goals in a, in a nice entertaining one for, for a Sunday evening. The All-Brighton dilemma is an interesting one. I totally agree with you. It'd be a big, big call to start him out of position in that sort of more central role from the off in an FA Cup semi-final when you've got players that are more suited to that role. Um, Castagna and Ricardo didn't do anything wrong against West Ham, really. They didn't sort of stand out as poor performers. Uh, and it was Amati that was the sort of casualty at half-time to allow a left-footer on the left and a right footer on the right and balance things out a little bit. Um, Sergio coming back, I totally agree, is absolutely huge for Leicester. Um, no slight on Amati, but he, he he fills gaps relatively well wherever he's asked to, but he's not a world beater, is he? Sergio back in as part of a back three. And, the, and then it is, I don't think Thomas is in contention to start, so it's two from three for the wing-backs for me, from Ricardo Castagna and Albrighton. It'd be interesting if all Brighton's 30-minute cameo against West Ham gets him the nod. Um, and which out of Ricardo and Castagna gets dropped? It would probably be Castagna, I'd say. And you'd possibly have all Brighton on the left, Ricardo on the right. And then that number 10 role is likely to be filled by Madison, knowing that you've got Perez on the bench who can come on if Madison's not quite ready for 90 minutes. But I am going to... Put this, put all of our for fuck's sake eggs in one basket, and also go for three one. 
All right, so a, a double three-one. Well, there we go. It's absolutely nailed on then, isn't it? Um, well, after the game against Southampton, uh, it's then you look at the fixture list and you've got West Brom at home, Crystal Palace at home, at Southampton away, which will be interesting no matter what the result is on Sunday. Uh, Newcastle then at home. Those four games. So where does this put Leicester really in the top four conversation? I would have thought those two games coming up against West Brom at home and Crystal Palace at home before the game against West Ham, you would be looking at those two going, right, win both games, obviously. Maybe a win and a draw, if they were to get a positive result against West Ham, say a win, would have been acceptable, really, overall in the great scheme of things. Now, I don't think it's the case. It's two wins. You need to see Leicester winning the three home games. West Brom, Palace and Newcastle, okay? Um, should they? It's easy to say they should win them, but they are three uh, teams who you would pick, really, to play against at this, this time of the season. Uh, away at Southampton, yes, it's going to be difficult, but again, on the back of what happens on Sunday, if Leicester get a positive result in the semi-final, then Southampton are going to be out for revenge. If it's the other way round, then you can say, well, they've got the, the one-up on Leicester, but then Leicester will be out for revenge, etc. And we'll cross that hurdle when we get there. And then you face Newcastle, who are, they're going to be scrapping, aren't they? They're going to be scrapping at at um, at that, that time of the season, where they are in the league. Before you've got the three games against Manchester United away, Chelsea away, and then at home against Tottenham. Well, it's going to be difficult anyway against United and Chelsea, and who knows what Spurs will be playing for at the end of the season. Arguably, that game could be against the Tottenham side, who aren't going to be involved in any kind of conversation with trophies or or, or whatever. They've got the League Cup final coming up against Manchester City. Um, they probably would be out of the picture regarding um, the top four, and who knows with the manager. So... Um, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, Rob, because we've got the game against Southampton and then we'll do a podcast before those two games in the Premier League. But do, do you think then those two immediate games, West Brom and Palace, with the form of other sides, yes, it was a bit of a kick, wasn't it, that Liverpool won with the last kick of the game? Um, do you agree that them, those two are, are now must-win games? Well, they have to be. Of course they do. We we spoke about the in our preview of the West Ham game about it being uh, a really important one, not just not because West Ham are going to be in the top four come the end of the season, they're probably not, but about maintaining that cushion between Leicester and everybody else below them. That cushion, like you say, because of Liverpool's result, because obviously West Ham beat Leicester, um, all of a sudden doesn't look so comfortable does it? It looks like some of the feathers have been blown out of that cushion and we're now um, sitting much less comfortably. So a team like particularly, I think the Palace game, and this it might sound a bit silly to because they're six places higher than West Brom, but I think the Palace game is much more winnable because Palace are in a similar boat to Southampton just without an FA Cup semi-final. They're going to have absolutely nothing to play for whatsoever. The manager's probably not going to be there next season, more than likely. So the players can't necessarily be playing for their future at the club, even though they've got lots of players that are out of contract. You know, if, if this was a scenario where the manager was going to be there next season, they'd probably be playing for their shirts at the minute. It doesn't really matter to them. They've got nothing to be playing for. Maybe they want to put themselves in the shop window for other clubs to pick them up at the end of the season. But, you know, there's some interesting free transfers possible there from from Palace. So I don't think they'll have trouble finding another club. West Brom, I think, will be more difficult 
just because they've just picked up back-to-back wins, they have, from two games ago where it was looking extremely bleak, all of a sudden started to generate some belief again, started to generate a little bit of momentum, uh, and I think they'll be very, very difficult to play against. Um, Having said that, they're 19th, we're third. Palace are 13th, we're third. If we've got any intention of finishing in the top four, we've got to be going and beating both of those teams. Absolutely got to be six points, especially, as you said, on, on the back of the West Ham result. Yeah, and at this time of the season, you look at what other sides are doing and, and just a, a brief look down. Liverpool's fixture list, let's face it, is very, very good on paper. But then again, so is Leicester until those final games. They've got a, a game away at Leeds. It's not going to be easy there. Uh, Chelsea at home against Brighton. Um but then looking further along the line, Liverpool at home against Newcastle, you've got um, Chelsea playing Manchester City. Um, I think Liverpool have got uh, their away at Manchester United as well in the next two or three games. So don't kind of lose heart. I mean, you know, I, a lot of people, I think, were straight away, and it's the reactionary case of just general football fans, isn't it? You know, the, you lose against West Ham, oh, that's the top four over. Not necessarily, because... We've got these good games coming up. And even if we don't get the four three points, other sides around us do have some tricky games immediately in this fixture list. I, I st- It's going to... I thought, hopefully, or I hoped a few weeks ago, it would get to the point, and it still really could, that before we play those three games at the end of the season, Leicester could be in the position where we are pretty much almost in that top four regardless of what happens, unless other sides go and win their last three games. Um, hopefully, that's the best we can hope for now, is the fact that we don't need to maybe win all three or, or even win two of the three or get four points, etc. You can't guarantee other clubs are going to go on a, a run like Manchester United did at the end of last season because that was extraordinary, really. I know we didn't help ourselves and the more you look back on it, you more think, how how did we lose that? Um, but we'll see what happens. Thing is, it's 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 just a, such a strange scenario, isn't it, Rob? The fact that we've got what you could say is one of the biggest games in Leicester's well recent history. You you discounts what say in Europe and and then obviously the Premier League winning campaign and all that sort of thing. Away from that, um, getting promoted to the Premier League wasn't easy, but there wasn't a one-game kind of shootout to, to get promoted. Um, to get promoted from League One was even easier. There wasn't a one-game that you look back and go, right, that was the one game that made us champions or made us promoted, etc. It was a, a very easy season overall. So you can argue that this is one of the biggest games in recent decades, really, against Southampton, and yet... All the conversation is about what happened with COVID, about what happened at West Ham and about the race for the top four. And I think really to finish the podcast, Rob, is what would you accept now if I give you in one hand a win against Southampton and a win at Wembley in the FA Cup final against whoever, whoever, against Chelsea or Man City. So the FA Cup this season with Hardly any fans and probably, more than likely, no parade. In fact, guaranteed, no parade. So the FA Cup, on the other hand, we fall out of the top four. 
and we finished fifth or sixth. Um, that's well, that's that's one. The other hand is we lose against Southampton on Sunday, so we don't get to the FA Cup final, but we manage to get top four. So it's top four, but lose against Southampton or win the FA Cup, but don't finish in the top four. Well, you know, I want both. Um, are your are your Mystic Meg skills good enough to see what kind of run we have in the Champions League next season if we do finish in the top four? Just before I make my decision, do no, we get not, out of the groups? No, not at all. It's 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 what will be will be, as they say. Oh, here we go. Um, God, you can tell we don't rehearse this, can't you? Because I've got I've got absolutely no idea what to think here, and that's the first time that you've posed this. Uh, kind of dilemma to me. I, do you know what? I think just because of a, a very... Uh, the point you made about the, the supporters and the point I made earlier about just being on Wembley Way and feeling the buzz of the FA Cup semi-final, I think the fact that we can't do that wouldn't necessarily... I don't know if it would make, make winning the FA Cup more hollow, but without a parade without the ability to go to the game or even without even if you couldn't get a ticket without the ability to just sort of be in a pub in town watching it with like hundreds of other supporters yeah i think if we if we're going along the recurring theme of uh, plus or minus 1 or 2% here or there that would take a little bit of the shine off of it and to be in the Champions League next season when hopefully the, the world is opened up again and the Europa League campaign that we kind of enjoyed from afar this season would be one better. It would be a Champions League campaign and it would be one that you could actually experience or a lot of supporters could experience firsthand. I'm going to I'm gonna take top four. What about you? Ah, you, you you surprised me. I thought you would have gone with the FA Cup. I uh, it's it's really difficult. I think it's a very difficult question because you said I'd, would it be more hollow? I don't know whether it'd be more hollow. I think it would be. All all what you said about the FA Cup, we've not been there. We're not going to be at Wembley or the the vast majority of us um, for either the semi final or the final. It would be amazing to win the FA Cup. It would be fantastic, and also you look at then the players and the management and what their kind of futures are at the club would an FA Cup and no Champions League mean that they're going to more likely stay and kick on etc I th- I think so I think they would look and go we've won the FA Cup you know we we've nearly got top 4 in two seasons but we we've, we've got a trophy um the 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 Rodgers era at Leicester is a successful era regardless of kind of what happens from now on because we actually have the FA Cup. On the other hand, qualifying in the top four of the Premier League for the Champions League would be amazing. It would be it would put to bed what happened last season instantly. It would mean investments. Uh, the attractiveness of the club for players signing would be uh, increased dramatically. But also, from a selfish point of view, we would be in the Champions League. Hopefully, we'd be able to go and travel abroad and watch Leicester in the San Siro, in the New Camp, wherever. Um, so, from a fan's point of view, it would probably be top four for me because of what I can then experience as a Leicester fan. 
But you ask me right now, in the week of the FA Cup semi-final, and then you ask me on Sunday at about half five, half, is it half an hour before kick-off, I think it's six o'clock, you ask me then, it's the FA Cup. I, I am just going to side with the FA Cup, um, which sounds bonkers, because you look back in the history books and you could easily dismiss top four. Who knows, we could be top four for few years to come who knows this could be our chance only of top four i'm just going to go with the fa cup i'm just going to go with the fa cup purely on the basis of you remember fa cup wins um leicester could bomb out of the champions league and not sign anyone in the summer so that's what i'm going to go with i'm just going to go with the fa cup but from a fan's point of view i want to be and i spoke yesterday um to a mate who, when we went round Europe, etc., uh, in the Champions League, and um, and I said, to, I said, oh, it would be great, Champions League, wouldn't it? Uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I says, well, but on the other hand, because another lad says, oh yeah, but looking a bit dicey now. And I said, yeah, but end of the day, if we're in the Europa League again, uh, then we'd be going anyway. We'd be able to go to the deepest, darkest part of the Ukraine and watch what we didn't watch this year. So. You know, is going abroad with Leicester in the Champions League a lot different to going abroad with Leicester in the Europa League? Well, yeah, yeah, it is. But still, you still have that fan experience. But uh, so I'm going to go FA Cup. Um, shows you how difficult that decision really was, wasn't it? Like one goes for one, one goes for another. But uh, no, I want. What the we FA don't Cup want to happen is neither. What we definitely don't want is neither. No, that wasn't an option. That was a. <laughs> It was one or the other. If <laughs> you, I mean, how, you helpfully left that one out. <laughs> yeah, the option of neither is, is is obviously there, and blame for all to see, and and almost one leads on to the other, doesn't it? If they lose against Southampton, <laughs> to end on a real down point. If they lose to Southampton, and then they go into the next game in the Premier League after losing three games on the bounce, including the semi final of the FA Cup. That, <laughs> it probably means that we won't get top four, but uh, but never mind. Fingers crossed, it's all fine against Southampton, and we're through to the final. And that's another thing as well, and we've not even touched on. We won't really, but the the teams who we'll be facing in the final, one or the other, it's going to be extremely difficult. But hopefully, we get to the stage where we can talk about it. Hopefully, by the time we're next best, uh, next bet, next back with the podcast, um, we'll be in the final. We'll be back early next week because we've got the game on Thursday and then the game uh, a few days later as well. So we'll be back next week. Fingers crossed we're in the FA Cup semi-final and all this nonsense to do with whatever's happened behind the scenes is all kind of blown over and it turns out it wasn't that bad. Fingers crossed that's the case and we can all watch Leicester once again at Wembley taking on either City or Chelsea. Oh yeah, Rob, first of all, who would you rather play in the final? Um, Chelsea or Man City... And there's two options. One is the team you think Leicester can beat. And two, you're guaranteed a win. Who would you rather beat? Uh, if we're guaranteed a win, I'd rather beat Man City and stop them winning the quadruple. Not because I've got anything particularly against Manchester City. I just think it would be an extra bit of gloss on an FA Cup victory. If you win the FA Cup at the expense of Man City's um, much-talked-about quadruple, brilliant. Who would I rather play um well chelsea are more beatable than manchester city 
So Chelsea, from that point of view, from from if you if you just get to choose your opponent and then the match plays out itself, then Chelsea. Yeah, I think it's the obvious, isn't it? I think Chelsea would be the ideal opponents of those two. Um, not ideal, but ideal out of those two. And then if you had the option of a guaranteed win, beating Man City would really be, you know, we've won the FA Cup. Someone turns around and goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And you go, yeah, we beat Man City in the final, who were on for the quadruple. And then you hope Man City go on and win the Champions League. And <laughs> it turns out you are you are that team that stopped them. Um, it would just add a proper exclamation mark next to the FA Cup win. Fingers crossed that happens. If you're going to go to Wembley, then um, if you've managed to get a ticket, then uh, then well done. I don't know how you managed that, but um, if you do, enjoy the day. And we'll be back next week, hopefully in the final. Mm-hmm.